Comet Esau was discovered on September 21, 2012, by astronomers Artur Novichornik and Vitaly Novitsky. Where the two-kilometer-wide projectile came from was a mystery to scientists, and then, and still is to this day. There was speculation that the comet was seen before in 1680 by a German astronomer, but, but due to the comet's trajectory, which would hurl it out in the solar system after it passed the Earth, that speculation is nothing but the wishful thinking of intellectual eunuchs trying to inject scientific continuity where there is none. Almost 2,000 astronomical observations were used to calculate a light curve that would make ESON brighter than the full moon when it passed the Earth in late December. Socially challenged eggheads from around the world rejoiced that they could spend the holidays imbibing fermented apple cider and squinting through their telescopes. But the more pragmatic scientists worried that the comet might actually collide with Earth. Those apprehensions were dispelled when ESON was inexplicably disintegrated while rounding the sun before its final approach to Earth in late November. On December 18th, NASA brought the Hubble Space Telescope to bear on what should have been left of the comet and found nothing down to the, to the magnitude 25. Comet ESON is now galactic dust. On the 30th of October, 2013, noted political commentator and renowned international intelligence analyst Gordon Duff ran a very strange article titled, What Can Be Told in his flagship publication, Veterans Today? A short piece warned his readers in no uncertain terms of a possible impending calamity of biblical proportions. VT readers, many of whom are soldiers, veterans, and intelligence operatives, were warned to stay in prepper mode. Dark allusions were made to Comet Eson, and Mr. Duff quoted an unnamed source reassuring, reassuring those observing it that they aren't crazy. There is really something very wrong going on. A photo purporting to be from the Chinese Space Agency showing anomalies near Comet Eson accompanied the article. The anomalies be, appear to be two very large artificial st structures shaped like right angles or L's suspended in space. From October 1st to 17th, NASA was shut down with fewer than 600 of its 18,000 employees being allowed to work. The agency's social media accounts, profiles dedicated to mission updates and spacecrafts, all went dark. The work stoppage was part of a government shutdown in America with 800,000 out of the federal government's 3,300,000 employees being told not to report to work. The reasons given for the partial shutdown by America's lobotomized media was infighting by the Democrats and Republicans over the spending budget. In the article, Mr. Duff hinted that those reasons were ostensible at best and that the approaching ESOM was the real reason for both the shutdown, the systematic arming of law enforcement agencies like they were a branch of the military, erection of FEMA camps, disappearing nuclear inventories, and the removal of top nuclear force commanders. He goes on to ominously tell his readers that weapon systems have already been launched in a cooperative operation with the rest of the world's nations, just as President Reagan had predicted in his UN speech. On October 20, 2013, the quickly growing alternative news source Secure Team 10 posted a video on YouTube purporting to be a Claude Steen interview with a Nassau whistleblower. The informant, using the pseudonym of Dr. Norton, said he was an outside consultant currently working with NASA's meteoroid 
Environment Office. Dr. Norton began by cryptically alluding to knowledge that within NASA that would change the very foundation of man's belief system. There was then what is called on the video mysterious disconnection, which perhaps was in reality a theatrical pregnant pause. The interview resumes with Dr. Norton saying that on January 22, 2012, he was called to the McDonald Observatory in Texas, the second largest optical telescope on the continent. When he arrived by plane in Texas, he was met at the airport and escorted to the observatory by agents of Homeland Security. There he met with four other scientists who worked for the observatory. They invited him to peer through the telescope. When he did, he saw what caused him to have to sit down for a minute. The lens was an array of massive, in the lens was a, an array of ma massive three-dimensional black structures in space in straight line formation, advancing in the direction of planet Earth. Dr. Norton said the object had been observed three months before, but they had moved millions upon millions of miles closer in just months. The structures were now close enough to examine by using what the listeners were told is sophisticated detection equipment provided by NASA. The listeners are then told that the structures are composed of artificial metallic carbon reinforced material estimated to be 7, 000, several thousand times the structural hardness of what can be produced by known science. The objects appear to be protected from space particles by a deflection device similar to the magnetic field around the Earth. Dr. Norton describes the object's shape as being three-dimensional L, a three-dimensional L exactly like the objects pictured in Gordon Duff's Veterans Today's piece, published seven days prior to the video release. By January 2013, the objects had been tracked to about 200,000 miles past Mars. Once they reached that point, they instantaneously vanished and were undetectable to NASA's instrumentation. Dr. Norton said he was told by a colleague that the, at the beginning of 2013, the objects reappeared aligned themselves in circular formation, and docked on the dark side of the moon, concealing them from observation by Earth-brown eyes. Dr. Norton's colleague maintained that the shutting down of NASA's observational apparatuses was essential to keeping these events secret. Nobody but the most avid readers of the Huffington Post needs General Michael Hayden to tell them that, that Ison was a very thin anagram of the word Zion, as in Zionists. Astronomical bodies are usually named after their discoverers, but not in this case. ISON is the acronym for International Scientific Optical Network, Novichoynik and Novinsky's employer, a night survey program with 20, 20 observatories and 30 telescopes all around the world. But ISON is primarily based around the Black and Caspian Seas, an area known to have gifted the world with the Ashkenazi Jew, the quintessential Zionist. As I have said before, the authorized version of history is designed to keep you stupid. It starts in ancient Greece with the father of lies, Herodotus, and ends with that vile, convicted criminal, Dr. Zihai Hawes, making it up as he goes along on your television. The deception called history is examined in depth in my aborted nine-part essay, Behind the Bush, Alistair Crowley Yeats, The Antichrist, and Armageddon. The fact that the series was halted at six by Veterans Today at the height of its popularity speaks for itself. The fulcrum of the lie is that the Abrahamic religions, which are the very foundation of Western civilization, 
are the product of a tiny tribe of nomadic goat herders of Semitic descent. What they are in actuality is the most current reactive agent of malice that has ruled over this earth for 12,000 years. The pestilence began in Asia Minor in a place called Gobeki Tepe and spread like a malignant cancer, enveloping the Caucasus and the Middle East, then swallowing up the noble civilizations of Egypt and India, laying waste to the ancient citadels of the gods in the Americas. The Vedas and the Avista tell the tale of woe, battles fought and lost by noble tribes of earth against the progeny of hell and their demon king, whom his servants now call Yahweh, in the Jews' case, and God the Father by the Christians. These armies of darkness were huge, and before the time when their scribes rewrote history, invincible. When the tides of war finally turned against them and they were defeated on the battlefield, they resorted to cunning and guile to maintain their malevolent hegemony. For thousands of years, they have relied on secrecy and deception. As the great French poet Charles Baudelaire, a man who truly knew evil, once said, the devil's greatest trick is to convince you that he does not exist. Columbus' theatrical discovery of the New World would remain as the greatest psyop in history for over half a millennium, till the Bushes incinerated 3,000 people and demolished half the world's financial center, then blamed it on a terminally ill family friend to start World War III. The Jews have been coming to the New World for thousands upon thousands of years. There are biblical accounts referring to it as Ophir, the land where Solomon looted his gold. Its discovery and settlement is recounted by no less authorities than Aristotle and Diodorus of Sicily. There is a vast preponderance of archaeological evidence. All this is in part two of my Behind the Bush series. There are also genetic evidence, which is presented in part three. The Knights Temple began frequenting the New World as early as the 12th century, which is the subjects of part four and five. There is a seal documenting the temple presence in the New World in the French National Archive. It is shown as a partial picture of Cologne de Diego Despues, a book co-authored by Jacques de Mahou and Martinez Roca. The seal bears an inscription, Secretum Templi. At its center is an Amerindian figure dressed in a loincloth and wearing a headdress of feathers. In his right hand, the figure carries a bu bow below his It is a swastika sticker and curved arms, and beside it, an Thalo rune, the rune of Odin. In 1536, Conquistador Don Mendoza reported a well-maintained roadway running from Brazil, Brazilian, the Brazilian seashore to the Sierra Cora Mountains in Paraguay and into the Pastai Potosi in Bolivia. Potosi was founded as a mining town for, for Spain in 1546. Over the next 200 years, more than 40,000 tons of silver were shipped out of the town, making the Spanish Empire one of the richest in the, the world has ever seen. But before that started, the 12th century, the temples had flooded Europe with quantities of silver such as the Western world had never seen. Sierra Cora is a range of small mountains extending 50 kilometers west and 250 kilometers south. Evidence of pre-Columbian Viking habitation have been found throughout the range, such as the ruined fortresses, sunken temple, oversized steps, and thousands of runic inscriptions. Many of the ruined inscriptions have been deciphered and correspond to the Schwilzwig dialect spoken in northern Germany and Denmark. 
There is evidence of a silver melt smelting plant on a mountain known as Sierra Kais, about 20 miles south of Sierra Cora National Park. Inscriptions found in Sierra Kais resemble those found in the Temple edifices in Spain, illustrated in El Mysterio de los Templos, a book co-authored by Martin Walker. Conquistadors reported the early oral traditions of the Indians inhabiting the Sierra Cora Range as attesting to the existence of the White King, they called Ipa. About 200 miles to the south of Sierra Kais, a mountain is named Sierra Ipia. There is a subterranean vault within Sierra Ipia that extends about 300 yards and appears to be a burial chamber. But to date, all efforts to confirm this have failed because the vault is constructed of impenetrable concrete and resists both drills and explosives. Since Francisco Pizarro, 183 conquistadors, first strode among the Inca's empire like savage gods, there have been rumors. Tales told by Indians of, vast underground, of a vast underground tunnel system networking the South American continent, subterranean cities inhabited by godlike beings. David Hatcher Childress gives an incredible account of these tales and his explorations in search of them in subterranean tunnels on the hollow earth. The world lost an intrepid and erudite explorer, explorer when he took the Sheikles to become straight man to the orange guy with the pompadour hair in National Geographic's comedy duet television show, Ancient Aliens. The servants of the god of this world are experts at dissembling the facts and destroying the evidence. The Piraba stone, proving early Phoenician colonization of Brazil, was swiped before anyone got to see it. The internet has been flooded by hacks trained in Jewish pseudosciences, sniveling that it was a forgery, in spite of the fact that the Phoenicians being in Brazil over 3,000 years ago is now as certain as the doctorates of Yahweh's agents being no more intellectually impressive than used toilet paper. No sooner did I write the Narragansett runestone, about the Narragansett runestone over two years ago than it went missing. It was returned, though, how they were going to smuggle a waterlogged two-ton boulder inscribed by Cistercian monks to obscurity while every cop in Massachusetts was looking for it. But like I told you about the Jew, never giving up. The same applies to all the rest of the Lord's servants. Failure is not an option with their gods. Nowhere is this evil, evil brotherhood's cockroach-like pathology to hide from the light more evident than in the case of Father Carlo Crespi, a Catholic priest in Conica, Ecuador, who befriended the local Cuchilla Indians. The priests lived in poverty and served their communities with saintly devotion. As a token of their gratitude, the Indians brought him gifts from the depths of the impenetrable jungle that they call home. And Father Crespi's corruptions were some of the, some, there were golden plates bigger than blackboards depicting, depicting unearthly scenes of pyramids, ziggurats, and temples, swarming snakes everywhere, griffiths, elephants, and dinosaurs engraved on gold, silver that did not tarnish a malleable metal alloy unknown to science. Eric von Donneken in his 1973 book, Gold of the Gods, shows a picture of a stone disc from Crespi's collection portraying a lion and a snake in accordance with Aleister Crowley's list of Gnostic saints, the valiant men who carried the war against the darkness through its own epoch. Crowley calls these saints sons of the lion and the snake. All of the artifacts are thousands upon thousands of years old. 
When the Indians were asked where they got them from, they told tales of tunnels with walls as smooth as cigars hidden in the eastern jungle, big enough to drive trucks through. Fantastically decorated walls and abandoned cities that still glowed in the nearly blue incandescence. The artifacts have been of a distinctly Egyptian, Sumerian, and Phoenician appearance and are inscribed with hieroglyphs of Paleo-Hebrew. Wayne Hamby, in his 1977 book, Voices from the Dust, shows a picture of what would be about a cubit-long solid gold plate, (coughs) depicting a pyramid flanked by flora, elephants, cats, and writhing snakes on each side, with a sun over it. Its inscription is in Paleo-Hebrew and should have proved once and for all that the Jews were the Phoenicians. If you try to Google the book, you'll find the excrement that has been smeared all over the search. This time, it's Donny Osmond, Voices in the Dust. Google apparently feels the third-rate singer whom was relegated to obscurity almost a half-century ago is more relevant than the most important archaeological find ever. It doesn't just stop there. While the Crespi's Museum in Kanaka was burned to the ground twice, in 1962 and 1974, destroying much of the priceless collection, Upon his death, the Vatican seized the rest and made it disappear. But the pictures remain on some bottom, on some on the bottom of the sling. Still not satisfied, Yahweh's servants have spread the absurd rumor that the diminutive little Italian priest was the escaped Adolf Hitler and the artifacts lost Nazi treasure. In 1624, a man named Francis Bacon published a book in Latin titled The New Atlantis. Francis Bacon, aside from being widely acknowledged as the father of empirical science, is suspected by many to have been the real identity of William Shakespeare, the poet laureate of the Rosicrucians. The book is strange and out of character for Bacon. A tale of voyages lost off the coast of Peru happened upon an uncharted island, peopled by a race of supermen. After first being rebuffed, they are shown mercy by the supermen, who feed them and follow them, allow them a period of grace for convalescence. During that period, the spokesman for the supermen teaches them the history and, and of the island and that of the pa- past epoch of Earth. The spokesman tells them that the island's inhabitants are mostly Christian, but they grudgingly tolerate Jews who, who in turn grudgingly tolerate them. The spokesman seems to be describing genetic engineering when he says of the animals on the island, we find means to make co-mixtures and co-populations of diverse kinds which have produced many new kinds and, the, and them not barren as the general opinion is. The spokesman goes on to say, wherein we find many strange effects as continuing life in them through diverse parts, which you can you account vital, be perished and taken forth, resuscitating of some of, the, of that seem dead in appearance and the like. Of this flowering trees and the fruits of the island, the spokesman says, they are made greater and sweeter and of differing taste, smell, color, and figure from their nature. And many of them we do we so order as that they become for medicinal use. The marvels of the island are not limited to the husbandry of its flora and fauna. The spokesman says we also have fair and large baths of several mixtures for the cure of diseases and restoring of man's body from putrefaction, others for the, for the confirming of an it and strength of sinews, vital parts, and the very juice and substance of the body. The hundreds of years before the planes and submarines were even dreamed of by 
by any but Leonardo da Vinci. The sp spokesman says they have vehicles that imitate also flights of birds. We have some degrees of flying in the air. We have ships and boats for going underwater and, and brooking of seas. The inhabitants of the island also possess the power of illusion. They can make the uninitiated see whatever they want them to see. They are administered to by a priesthood called Sol Solomon's House, named after Solomon, whose lost books they possess. They remember times long forgotten by old world history, when the Tyrians, Phoenicians, and Chinese navigated the earth with great fleets, and the greatest of all nations was Atlantis. The continent now called America, which was drowned in a deluge when her rivers and streams overflowed. All the animals who could not dwell in the treetops for an extended period were drowned, along with most of the people who slowly starved to death. On the top of their buildings, so buildings. So, as marvel you not in the thin population of America, nor at the rudeness or ignorance of the people, for you must account your inhabitants of America as your young people, younger than, younger than younger a thousand years at the least than the rest of the world, for that there is much time between the universal flood and their particular inundation. Wait, Peter William Lund and Charles Darwin were contemporaries. Lund, the founding father of Brazilian archaeology and paleontology, was exploring the providence of Rio de Janeiro when Darwin passed through in 1832. It is doubtful whether the brilliant Danish scientist soiled himself by even meeting with the English charlatan although Darwin would idolize Lund throughout his own career. Lund found, documented, found and documented evidence of Viking settlement from, from the Orinoco River to the Rio de la Plata. This is acknowledged by academia, yet no one seems to be able to produce that, that evidence. Stranger still, during the excavation of the cave uncovered by drought in 1843, Lund, by then the most prominent archaeologist of his day, found evidence of human coexistence with long-extinct animals. The implications of this discovery were so disturbing that one would retire within the year, claiming ill health. Ill health. He would live another 37 years and never again return to Europe. In a lost letter that was recently found and published in Danish, Lund describes how the bones, undisturbed from their ancient strata, have been sorted out with the skulls in one pile, fingers in another, each body part to its corresponding pile. All the skulls had been neatly cleaved with one mighty blow from an axe-like instrument. The remains have not been properly dated to this very day, and you can bet they never will be. By now it is the desperation, but nowhere is the desperation to preserve the secrets concealed in South America's boiling jungles more apparent than in the story of Akakor. It's hard to say where the story begins. Was it 15,000 years ago when the sky was filled with gleaming golden ships that scorched the plains below them with fire and caused the earth to tremble with the thunderous sounds they made? Or was it in the darkest darkness of the earliest hours of World War II when SS men and their families disembarked from submarines at the mouth of the mighty Amazon River and made their way Claude Steenley into Brazil's uncharted interior. There are few pictures to document this, and no more eyewitnesses left to talk about it, only stories handed down to the next generation of Brazilians who make their home 
on the untamed river. But the German intelligence agency, Abwehr, had many secrets, and the Germans are efficient. The Germans have always been efficient.